Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Orville Roach. Welcome, welcome, folks. Roach on Recovery. This is your host, Orville Roach, along with my producer, engineer, co-host, and in charge of the production department. That would be me. Chris Morales, 646-564-9909. 646-564-9909 is the number if you want to call in and speak to us. If you want to just listen to the show, you can go to our show website. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Again, that's blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. And you don't have to call in on the call in line to listen to the show unless that's your only means. And by all means, please make it happen. Do so. I think last week we, last week we uh, emphasized that we will accept satellite any yeah. smoke signals or exactly. any, any method of communication. Any form of communication to listen to the show. And if you'd like to follow us, please do so. And if you wouldn't like to follow us, please do so. Please do so any way to make us happy. <laughs> All right. Uh happy Cinco de Doce. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. We got the we got the twelfth of May on the horizon. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh Mr. Producer, why don't you uh, start us out with our NFL Draft uh, recap. My pleasure. My pleasure. Anytime I get to drop that sound bite... We know we're going to have a good show. Brings, I can tell you that right brings, off the bat. Thrills from back in the day. Yep. And, and we'll say Happy Doce de Mayo is where you wanted to go with that, okay. but I rolled with it anyway. All right. <laughs> so we got we got some draft recap going on now. As we all know, the NFL is a year-long business, not just when mm-hmm. it's in season. So we've had the draft, and now the grades come down. And so we've got some grades for only the teams of – Concerned parties, so to speak. 
So, Mr. Roach, how do you believe – well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Out of your Cowboys, Jets, and Giants, who do you believe had the best draft? Jets. By far. New York Jets, yep. And then Giants and Cowboys for battle for second? No, Cowboys second, Giants disappointment. Okay. All right. Well, I can tell you that as far as the Jets are concerned, number one draft out of the three, in fact, they were ranked like about the third highest draft overall out of all the teams. That's 32 teams. 32 teams. So I went, I won't, um, I will only disclose the parties one time so as not to bore people, but I went to a website that included the grades of five independent parties. You've got SB Nation, Kuiper, CBS, Sports Illustrated, and Mm NFL.com. So your Jets basically A's and B's across the board. Your Jets got uh, three B's and two A's. Okay. Some pluses and minuses in there. Your Giants actually all B's Hmm. with one C. Okay. Your Cowboys three C's and two B's. Yeah, that's that's Cowboy uh, prejudice. And what they did state on the site was that how well they do in their draft is contingent upon their round two gamble. For those of you who don't know, our loyal and loving and caring and intelligent host who hosts this Roach on Recovery show is also a fan of a team that has no qualms about drafting people who have failed drug tests. Okay? So as long as he gets to the quarterback, that's all the host cares about. And Well, yeah, and also <laughs> if, the, if the Cowboys have a good player uh, development uh, program to help people get it, get on the recovery highway. Okay, all right. So I'm all for it. There we go. Beautiful. Uh, sad to say for my fellow 49ers fans, uh, myself obviously included in that, all C's with the exception of two B's, not very good at all. And for anyone out there who is an unfortunate Raiders fan. Well, well slow, slow, slow the roll. Okay. I think it, it's fair to add that the 49ers have a couple of uh, alcoholics and uh, and <laughs> marijuana abusers on, on their roster also. Who have already gone and received treatment and are on that road to recovery. Okay. Okay. All right. We've got the Raiders. Fair, Actually, fair, fair enough. <laughs> not bad. The Raiders, we went three Bs, one A, and one C. Okay. So it's looking like according to these five independent graders, your Cowboys and my 49ers, bottom of the barrel mm-hmm. in terms of how well they did in the draft. Now for, you know, way I would say in the seventies, eighties, and maybe I won't even I won't include the nineties, but the seventies and eighties in the in the U.S. the great U.S. of A. the NFL was mostly in, um, uh, a a male dominated viewer sport. Okay. Okay. Uh, in the nineties and the two the some people say the aughts, or I'd still say the two thousands. Uh, female viewership has gone up exponentially. Okay. Okay. Uh, but there's still, you know, a, a predominant of female uh, non-viewers who just aren't into football, period, for whatever reason, right? No. And so I'd like to say to those who are out there that you will get a one-month break in the month of June. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's <laughs> right. right. A lot of teams take – that's their vacation month. 
yeah. uh, before training camp starts, so uh, you won't be hearing too much in, on, on the news or what have you about the NFL. But that's your time. That's your break. We, yeah, and one of those ladies you speak of, I believe, is listening in as we speak. I may or may not have relation to the one that falls in this category. Could well, may I, or may not be my wife. Well, I know for certain I, I do have a relation to one that has <laughs> no interest in the sport whatsoever. Other than having an uncanny ability, an uncanny ability to pick the winners. Huh. Interesting. And it's just unfortunate that I'm not a gambler. That is interesting. Yeah, I think if I asked my wife to pick a winner, her answer would be, I don't care. I, I don't think mm-hmm. I could get her to pick a winner if I wanted to. But she may but also possess that ability. When when she my wife is asked, she will say, who, who are the two teams playing? And and what so normally we give the nicknames of the team. We'll say the Giants or the Cow you know, the Cowboys or the Giants and the Raiders and she won't have any correlation to like where they're located from. So well where are they? I say, because oh, Oakland Raiders and the Detroit Lions and then she'll say, Oh, the Lions are gonna win. Just like that. Hmm. She's picked the last four or five Super Bowls. She's wow. picked the last four or five championship games on both AFC and NFC. Okay. Okay. So uncanny ability. I have no idea how, why, and it's unfortunate that I'm not a. You better a, get on the I'm phone not, with I'm your local sure. bookie, man, <laughs> and start making some money. You know, pretty pretty soon, you know, I'm gonna have to start doing something because, like I said, it's uncanny. Wow. Especially for someone who uh, who who is known to state, I cannot understand what people see about this sport. All wow. these big fat men running into each other, <laughs> quote unquote. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the biggest story in sports yesterday and today. Okay. And that is the uh, the Warriors being on the brink of uh, elimination. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Not is, at all. That is the uh, Tom Brady suspension. Uh, your opinion first on the whole deal, the whole A to Z, the whole deal. And if you, I, can, get, and and if you can give a listener yeah, a little background, a little background. So in the Super Bowl, uh, essentially the Patriots were caught deflating AFC Championship game, AFC champ in the AFC Championship game. That's correct. The Patriots were caught with underinflated footballs. So the league has a regulation that a football needs to be inflated to a certain PSI and there's a range in that. And so 12.5 to 13.5. Is that the range? I think so. Um and so the Patriots were significantly under that range. I think they were in single digits. Mm-hmm. And the thinking is asking other NFL players and what's been talked about is how would that give you any kind of advantage? And well, the advantage for the quarterback, and this is ex-quarterbacks talking, is when it's very cold, which obviously New England is very cold, the balls get very, very hard, which makes them harder to grip and harder to throw. And so under-inflating them would give you an advantage because you'd be able to grip the football a little better. And there, that's why this rule stands. So both teams have to be within a – so nobody has a competitive advantage there. Well – Tom Brady, the quarterback for the New England Patriots, and I'm sure even non-football fans know who Tom Brady is because he transcends football, um, asked, I guess, 
was it equipment guys or somebody asked somebody to do the dirty work because mm-hmm. I need these these balls are too too firm. We need to under we need to take some air out of them, let some air out of them. And so they did just that. And uh the refs I guess found out upon the other team complaining when they intercepted one of the passes he threw. And yada yada yada. So anyway, we get to the off season, and so there's confrontation toward the Patriots and Tom Brady, who the Patriots head coach threw Tom Brady right under the bus in the initial. You'll have to ask Tom about that because mm-hmm. I don't deal with the footballs. Mm-hmm. Long story short, the Patriots, Tom Brady specifically, were found guilty of what is now being called Deflate Gate, mainly because he did not hand over his cell phone as a part of the investigation. Uh-huh. Not not that. And but the text from the other guys that the, you know, that right. submitted their phones showed the conversations going back and forth, which were very incriminating. But his suspension mostly came from the fact that he did not fully participate in, participate the, investigation in the investigation by handing over his phone so that they can see what the communication was. And his his reasoning or excuse, whatever you want to call it, was that because of who he's married to. Uh, how do you pronounce your yeah, name? Yeah, I don't know, Giselle something or other. Bunchton or something yeah. like that, right? <laughs> yeah, Whatever. some model. Yeah, um, that there were, you know, personal text messages and 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 maybe messages from other well-known people, and that he didn't want his privacy violated. Right. And they weren't going for any of that nonsense. They weren't going for any of that, so they believe he was lying when he says he doesn't. He he didn't even. Not that he doesn't know how the footballs got that way, but that he didn't even notice they were underinflated to begin with. Uh, and then they used some legal term that you may be familiar with, is not beyond a reasonable doubt, but... Uh, more probable than not. More probable than not that Tom Brady knew about it and participated in the activity in some form or fashion. And so as a result, Tom Brady was suspended four games, mm-hmm. which may not sound like a lot to the non football fan, but for you non football fans, if you exclude the bye week, there are only sixteen games in a season. Mm-hmm. So that's a quarter of a season mm-hmm. that they're without their star quarterback. That's like a basketball player being suspended for twenty games. Yeah. Or a baseball player being suspended for forty. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty good chunk of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were also fined a first round and a fourth round draft pick. Now, yeah, that now for those who don't know, that is ultra significant. significant. That's probably that's the even, biggest that's, hit. Yeah, that's more painful than the suspension and the, the fine. Mil- and then there was a one million dollar fine on top of that, which is a joke because to Bob to Kraft, fine, he's a multi billionaire. <laughs> to fine a billionaire one million dollars is laughable. Uh, and I don't know if you heard about this, uh, Mr. Roach, but there was actually a fund started online by Patriots fans to try and help their team pay this fine uh, through Fun For Me or something like that. It's go, one of the GoFundMe go or something like that. Um, but it looks like the Patriots will, will still be paying the majority of that million-dollar fine as so far the Patriots fans have raised $1,200. Okay, good, good for them. <laughs> but, yeah, so there you have that. But so anyway, people are saying – it's an incredibly harsh penalty for the quote-unquote crime. Um, and then the ones who are saying it's not that harsh is because the Patriots have priors in this with gaining competitive advantages unfairly. And I don't want to get into all that. Mm-hmm. More people, but they have a track record, essentially. So if this were the uh, like a first-time offense, maybe they get off a little lighter. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is not the first time the Patriots have been involved in shenanigans, if you will. 
your thoughts about the penalty. Well, again, I'll, I'll I'll have to bring my wife into the equation because even though she's not a football fan, um, <laughs> you know, if she were the commissioner, she said that their Super Bowl should be uh, rescinded, their Super Bowl win <laughs> should be rescinded. <laughs> rescinded. Yes, so, uh, that's I, raw. I, I would hate for her to be the commissioner, boy. <laughs> that's just raw right there. I love that reaction. Um. But it does raise the question about their um, – I mean, it, it taints, should would be the right word, in, in some people's eyes, whether fairly or unfairly, their uh, dynasty, so to speak. Or a question was raised, does that damage Tom Brady's legacy? I don't think it damages his legacy. I think it just hurts his image. I would agree with yeah. that. I would agree with that. You don't <laughs> – There's no need for him to be involved in nonsense like that. And the only advantage right. that you would get, it, I remember the game, it was raining, it was cold, it was, you know, et cetera, but um, no one has ever talked about this. I don't know, does he have small hands for a quarterback? Uh, I haven't heard anything like that specifically. That's right. what you would assume for someone who's trying to get a better grip on the ball. But. Yeah, and, and no one's ever talked about him having small hands and et cetera, so I, I'm not sure why he would do that. This is like akin to when Troy Aikman – was it was notorious that he hated playing with wet football. Right. And it was like, okay, so what are you going to do if it's raining? I mean, so they try and the officials always have a towel. They dry the football off, but by the time it's snapped, yeah, it's, you know, it's still wet. Yeah. So I know when we played football, we loved it when it was wet. Yeah. You know what I mean? And underinflated a little bit. But it gets to a certain point where it's so underinflated that you, you can't you throw can't any throw it. You yeah. can't, right. So... All right. Did we just turn this into a sports? I know that's our that's see that's our subconscious desire. That we <laughs> that's have, what we that that's we what have, we, we really to, want to be. We doing. have to fight off turning <laughs> it into a sports talk show. Right, right. All right. So that's that. Um let's slide right into our topic. And uh as I noted in our show description. I pulled our topic from our one of our X Files, uh, our writing question, which is: Is recovery a lifelong process? Okay. And in some circles, that's a very controversial question um, because there's strong opinion on both sides, and. I think there's validity in all, but we'll talk, we'll talk about the various opinions and quote-unquote dogmas um, that are out there. Um, so let's start with, and, I, and again, I pulled this from one of the questions because I thought it was gonna, it would make a, a good topic. So we know from our experience that um, the various what do we want to call them? The various group, uh, groups that deal with recovery, AANA, um, treatment programs, etc., um, may preach a certain thing when it comes to recovery. And that thing then, bec- and if that's what you preach for your program or your your support, group principles, etc., to me that then becomes your dogma, 
Okay. Okay. And this is not to say it's right, wrong, or good or bad. That just just becomes your dogma. Sure. I mean, there are programs that have a certain principles and 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 philosophy, just like OCG has their own principles and philosophy. Um, although I do believe we stay away from dogma, and you can be devil's advocate on that, and it's okay. Um, because if we don't, I'd like to debate that. Sure. Okay. Sure. Um, so I'll use my first personal opinion from, for me personally. Okay. I'll throw, I'll, you, I'll throw my own self yeah. under the landing gear. <laughs> okay. And so you're talking about your opinion that you would apply to yourself in your personal life, not I'll, your opinion I, that you would give out. Not what I would residence. give out. If someone asked me the question, and I have been asked this question, and um, by the way, there's a, there's a new commercial, the Burger King commercial. Have you seen it? Where the 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 the, the chicken is marrying the French fry. <laughs> That's one yes. of my favorite. I rewind it and watch it over and over because it's hilarious. It's, it's pretty good. The, the reaction of the the child in the background, you know, the child yes. in the background, and then the I think it's the mother hen who goes crazy and the, everybody let's calm down. <laughs> yes. Okay, so you got to see that commercial. Um, again, this is just me personally, and so this is some that would be the reaction. That's the reaction I've gotten, by the way, when I've been asked that question. <laughs> People have heard my answer. Okay, all right. Okay. So, ask me the question. Okay, for you personally, is recovery a lifelong process? No, I've recovered. All right, everybody who's listening, calm down. Calm down. <laughs> calm down. We we know the dogma says there's no such thing, but okay. Let now you've got a now you got as a Ricky uh, who that's married to Lucy. You got some splaining to do now, <laughs> Ricky Ricardo. <laughs> Ricky Ricardo, the host has some splaining to do now because as we all know, um, there is no such thing as just being recovered. It's something that you work to. Every day for the rest of your life until the day you've passed on, and even then, you probably got to work on it in the afterlife. That's why. That's why your 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 statement of this I'm explaining to do is is very accurate. Yeah. So, and because, I'm interested because my answer to the question for me personally is an accurate answer. Okay. Um. Well, let's delve into that deeper. Well, what does that mean? What do you mean by you've recovered? Well. Am I actively engaged in the addictive lifestyle? No, and have not been for over 25 years. Yep. Am I actively engaged in things that people would be considered a positive and constructive lifestyle? Yes, and have been for over 25 years. Sure. Okay. Um... Are you doing anything that would support this continued lifestyle that you have been involved in for the past 25 years? Yes, I am. Can, would you mind telling us what those things are, Mr. Roach? And I remind you, you're under oath. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it's something that I've told people uh, many, many, many 
times over the years. It's called living. At a certain okay. point, you just start living. That's right. Okay. Um, you don't count the days anymore. You don't count the months. You don't count the years. Okay. Um, you Once you have set yourself on the path and you know the things you need to do and, and what you have to do, you just go. You throttle up. You go to full flaps, 30 degrees, and yep. you start rolling down that runway. Okay. And when you get to, uh, I think it's called, um, what's the term? It's going to come to me. It's, I, it's, I think it's Vector 1, but it's not, but I'm going to say that for right now. Vector 1 is a point of no return, which is a good positive thing. It means you can look behind you. And when, as a person in recovery, you look behind you. When there are more years behind you than years you lived in the life, okay? Yeah. That's a tremendous accomplishment. Now, obviously, if you've been out there using for 25 years, okay, and you find yourself in your mid-40s, early 50s, okay, you're going to have to get to age 70-something or 80 before you have the equal amount of time behind you. Right. Okay? So that's more a conceptual thing than an actual thing. Because to me, if you've been living the right life for five years, Okay, and you've made the commitment that that's the life you're going to lead. And again, who's the only person that knows you've made that commitment? Yourself. Yourself. It's you. It's, no one can, can – people can only judge you based on what you're doing. They can see how you're living your life, but they don't know what's in your heart in terms of, you know, that this is what you're dead serious about forever. You know what I mean? Right. And if that's the case, five years, you can look back and say, you know, I'm – on my way, and yeah. I can, and what's the proof? I can look behind me and see that I'm five years down the road, okay? And that's why I always emphasize about the commitment that someone makes and that it's almost this spiritual thing that occurs within you, and you know that you are done with that life. Right. And you are moving on into a different phase of your life. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> someone did ask me this question and I said, well, so would you look at the period of time that you were, that you used drugs, the period of time that you were addicted to drugs as uh, just like a phase of your life? I said, absolutely. Right. It was a period of my life, a phase of my life. It is not, it's not, it does not define what my life is, has been, or will be. Now, let's be careful because, well, you know, as I've said before, you know, at Swan Lake, got into a lot of trouble with these type, and this is long before, long before becoming a counselor, long before, you know, becoming experienced in the field, et cetera. But we would have these type of discussions. I would put these type of concepts and thoughts out there and get, oh, and, and attempts were made to pummel this type of thought, this type of thinking process. Mm-hmm. But to me, it makes sense. To me, it makes sense. And so I always put it out there to people as food for thought. Okay? Okay. So I think a person asked last week about, you know, you know, is there a cure for this dreaded disease? And so if you think about that, the term cure, well, I look at it as not that there's a cure because there's still a debate 
not with alcohol, but with other drugs, whether or not it's a disease or not. We're not going to get into that. But um, you break your leg. You go into a period of recovery. The leg heals. Okay? Sometimes it's stronger than before. Sometimes it's just as good as before. Sometimes uh, a little weaker than before, depending on the break. Um, but eventually it heals. Um, whatever that period of time is that it takes to heal. And then you, you know, so you're in that recovery phase, and then it's healed, and then you move on with your life. Right. Okay? You resume playing basketball. You resume playing baseball or whatever it is that you're doing. Sure. So that's kind of a a simple equation that that I use to to define it. Now, there's a reason behind me using that, not for me personally, but also when I'm talking to other people. Okay. And that goes back to that show we did about the definition of an addict and about – is there is, does there come a time when you are no longer that, where you no longer describe yourself as that? And we all agreed that that term, that word, is not a positive word. It doesn't connotate a positive thought in your mind, a positive description. Right. So we have to think about, do we always want to continually refer to ourselves as that? Is it is it proper? Is it logical? Does it make sense if you're not living that life, to refer to yourself as something that you no longer are. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Okay. So that's just me personally. Okay. Okay. So pull all the feathers down. (laughs) Back in your seat. Security. (laughs) Keep people at bay. Keep people at bay. Um, Now, there is dogma for various reasons. I don't know all of them, okay? But I've heard people say uh, along the dogma lines that once an addict, always an addict, and recovery is a lifelong process, and I'm not saying I disagree with that, okay? Um, and and the reason why it is a good thing to think that way and tell yourself that is because that is part of helping keeping you clean and sober. Sure. Now, all I can say is I just disagree with that thinking and that concept. With that mentality. Yeah. I just disagree with it. It doesn't mean that for some people, though, recovery is not a lifelong process. For example, I know a person who um, has been um, who is an alcoholic. They've been alcohol-free over 20 years and almost goes to a meeting every single day. Huh. And I would never knock that at all. Yeah, that's something that that's something it. that they need to do. And and I've never asked them why, and I was never uh, trying to surmise on my own why. But there, if we were to just put out there, either it's something they need to do for themselves, or they enjoy the fellowship, right? You know, and the fellowship has become a positive part of their life. And to me, that's wonderful. Now, if that person told me that if I don't go to a meeting every single day. I'm on I'm on the doorstep, man. I'm close to the edge. Then I'd have to have a conversation with that person to really delve into what what's that about. Right. Okay. Um, 
Your thoughts? That's it's an interesting take on it, and I have to say that for the most part, I agree. It definitely is counter to what you hear in the world of recovery in the treatment realm, specifically. Another one of those dogmas you hear that is one that I personally disagree with because of my own experience is relapse is a part of recovery. And we know, like you said, we know why that's said. We know why that, that statement is out there. And we actually covered that a little bit in another show. Um, and it is for some people. And maybe, you know, like you said, maybe there's someone who does something for a long time ongoing or has no problem standing up at an AA meeting after 30 years clean and saying, hi, I'm so-and-so and I'm an addict. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't need to be that way across the board. Mm-hmm. And no, it's pretty much driven home to you if you if you are in recovery and have gotten there via a treatment facility or something like an NA or an AA, where you will be told, hey, this is something that you can never achieve. You never achieve recovery. It's not something that you can just get after a certain amount of time or a certain amount of work and you have it and you move on. You're always working to get it and you'll always be working to get it and there's never you never reach the top of the mountain, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So it is something that you have to work on every day and this is kind of drilled into your head that um you know, you're either working toward it or, or moving toward it or moving away from it and um So then that would beget the question if so if someone presented that argument, well what is then the definition of recovery? If if it's something, if it's just this vision that's out there that you're always striving for, you're never going to get there, but it's something that you're always striving to, to get to, what is the definition of that then? Right. And I feel the same, you know, I feel the same way about it when I hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's actually funny that you mention this now when you do um, for sake of confidentiality. And uh, non-disclosure, I'll just say I was having dinner with a friend the other the other night, uh, a friend of mine who is in recovery and who he and I got into that kind of lifestyle at around the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, just celebrated, and didn't he didn't celebrate it, but he came upon the date where he had 15 years clean, mm-hmm. and his wife contacted some people just to let them know, hey. Just so you know, you know, today's the day that my husband has 15 years clean. Mm-hmm. Shoot him a text message if you want to or whatever. And that was on a group text mm-hmm. to many people, my wife and I included. And my wife said, can you send him a text for from us to congratulate him? And I said, you know, I'm not going to do that. I said, I understand that maybe this is something that his wife is excited about mm-hmm. or feels good about mm-hmm. for him. Mm-hmm. I said, but I can tell you from his perspective, and he and I are kind of in the same boat, this is not, at this point in our life, this is not something that is like a celebratory event, Mm -hmm. so to speak. It's almost something kind of like you said, and and I use the, the phrase or the statement all the time, and I was telling him about it over dinner, I said, you know, um... Our host here was talking to somebody, I forget, you said some day top graduate or something, who you told you had X amount of time clean and, you know, he was like, good for you. Or his kind of mentality was, you shouldn't have been doing that in the first place. So, like, now you're living 
the right way, right? Well, no, actually. Something let, along let those lines. Let me clarify that story. That comes from the great uh, Eddie Hill. Okay. Uh-huh. My first uh, mentor as director at Swan Lake. And he was talking to us during a break in the action in one of our basketball games about what society's view of you will be as sure, a person okay. who is you know, a, a, a former a drug addict, getting your act together, you're no longer using drugs, and you're now doing what society expects you to do. Right. And so if you said to some if, – if for whatever reason someone came into the know or you made it known in some way, shape, or fashion that – that you you know were a recovering addict, and you know you were celebrating it or mentioning it or what have you in in a, in a fashion that you that it, it it showed that you were proud of yourself and your accomplishment. Okay? Right. That a person would say, well, you know what, what are you talking about? You know, well, I you know I used to be a drug addict and I've not been clean for ten years. And you said the person will look at you and say, well, why the hell did you use drugs in the first place? Right, right. You know, to them it's like, but so what? You're clean for 10 years. You know, you yeah. shouldn't have been using it. You're not supposed to be using drugs anyway. Now, the reason why he was telling us that story is not that that's not a great accomplishment. It is a great accomplishment. Uh-huh. But to prepare and let us to think about that ultimately society doesn't care. Your loved ones will care. You sure. will care. Those, you know, close to you will care. Right. But society as a whole cares about the fact that, oh, you got your act together? Well, you know, it's about damn time. Good for you. Get your ass in line and let's get moving. Right. Okay. And stop costing us money. You know, that that's society's general view. Right. Okay. And so just to speak to, in regards to, you know, your your, your friend, um, you know, for, for him personally... Okay, five years, ten years, fifteen years, twenty-five years. Remember, we we acknowledged some people not too a couple of shows ago who had forty years, forty-five years, whatever right. it was. Uh, to me, those are great accomplishments. Okay, and the person may feel a, a sense of uh, of of accomplishment in that, especially from where they came from. Right now, we don't know that. You know what I'm saying? Sure. You know, we don't know the depths from where they came. We did have one one guy on Ken um, who spoke about the depths from where he came. Um, so it's an individual thing. It is very much yeah. so that. And you see, and what we talked about over dinner was because I said, yeah, we, you know, we got the text. I, I tried to explain to my wife, I was telling him, and I said, and she wanted to congratulate you. And he thought that that was awesome. I said, but, you know, what I was trying to explain to her is that's not something that we pin ourselves medals for anymore Mm -hmm. because we both take that mindset or that mentality of this is how you're supposed to be living your life anyway. Mm -hmm. And so you want to pat me on the back for not getting high like that, you know, and so it's very much like you said, the individual, Mm -hmm. it, it impacts the individual. But it led us to a you know kind of a cool conversation about it mm-hmm. as to why we might feel the way we do about it and and for me personally, it's not something that I feel I need acknowledgement for. Mm-hmm. Um, he and I are pretty close in time. He had fifteen years, I had fourteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's almost something where it's like you'll never forget the date or, or the amount of years just because it's ingrained in you once yeah. you enter the lifestyle, but. It's not something that I'm counting either, that mm-hmm. or that is being counted by my friend. It's just, oh, 
you know, wow, you you mm-hmm. might realize, hey, this year will be whatever it'll be. Um, but it, and I might feel this way maybe even a little more strongly than my friend does. Um, but I almost, you know, at this point in my life, and it has a lot to do with, and I never thought about it on this level, what you just said about the amount of time that you've had clean versus the amount of time before that, that mm-hmm. you were actually in that kind of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. He and I both got clean in our teenage years. Mm-hmm. So not very much use beforehand relative to what some people have to go through mm-hmm. and a ton of time afterwards. I mean, you're looking at two years to 15 years or whatever. Mm-hmm. And at this point, um, you almost feel like I don't, want to mention it or I don't need it to be brought up or a congratulations because it's like you know what almost the way I perceive it to be is for a couple years while I was a teen a stupid teenager which most of us go through that phase on one level or another I don't recall that phase but go ahead (laughs) um you know these were some of the things I did or these were you know some of the decisions that I made that Mm -hmm. are not very intelligent decisions that pretty becoming of what a teenager might do anyway um, and having grown up and realizing that more so the decision-making process and, and the behavior behind an adolescent or a teenager versus when you become an adult, mm-hmm. it is something that's like, I don't, you know, I don't really need it to be acknowledged or, or mentioned. All right. So we agree that it's, you know, it is an individual thing, but I think it's important to also acknowledge that there are some circles definitely that uh the accomplishment is celebrated as an as a uh industry p- practice absolutely and and I believe and it absolutely should be mm-hmm. and I would never um as far as now my friend who I know intimately and have known for a long time he was the best man at my wedding whatever mm-hmm. We have the relationship where, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have to guess whether or not he would want acknowledgement on that because I know him. But anyone who's in the recovery field, who's got clean time mm-hmm. and wanted to share with me, hey, today I've got a year, 18 months, five years, whatever, I would definitely not project my view or my stance right. onto that moment. Right. Uh, that's awesome. Congratulations. You know what? That takes a lot of hard work and a lot of effort, and I will give them all the accolades on earth. Or, and and we it's and we do that even for someone who stands up and says I have two weeks clean. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So there are circles, AA, NA, and other twelve-step uh, type um, groups that do acknowledge, you know, the one day and, and right and the one thousand day and 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 give out various chips. And so that's kind of the um, the dogma. I don't mean that in a negative sense of the of those particular circles. Now I think in those circles. The thinking is more that this is a lifelong process. Now, the question, though, is what is meant by that when they say, because remember, so let's break it up, recovery, the word itself. Right. What is the definition of that? Is it, and as you brought up, is it actual, is that word an actual, an achievable thing? Okay. Is it a noun, an adjective, a verb? (laughs) Right. Okay. Right. Um, and if it's a life, if if it's, if the belief system is that it is a lifelong process, is that meant as a cautionary 
concept, meaning think that way so that you're always on guard. Every day you want to, you know, follow right. these principles to make to ensure that there's no slip-ups or, or whatever the case may be. Or that, you know, this is a sickness for which there is no cure, um, and so you have to, you know, the, the psychological, mental, emotional, spiritual medicine needs to be taken daily. Right. I don't have a problem with that thought, thought process if, because the results that, are and there. That, that's what it hinges on. Yeah. I for, like, and I've said this to several clients that I work with. Mm-hmm. They'll ask because they ask me, "Do I go to meetings?" I I do not. I've never gone to a meetings minus when it was some sort of requirement for me while I was going through a treatment facility. Mm-hmm. Don't go to AA meetings. Never have. Don't intend to. But that's for me, and. I wouldn't knock anybody who goes to AA meetings regularly mm-hmm. for an indefinite amount of time in their recovery if it's giving the desired results. Mm-hmm. If this person is clean and sober and this is just something they do as a part of their process to self-care and mm-hmm. self-help and all that, more power to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't because, you know, for my own reasons or whatever, but if you do and it's something that you get something out of and it's giving the result that is wanted, mm-hmm. awesome. If it works for you, keep doing it. And the thought process, like you said, you know, as long as somebody's working um, and, it, and it's kind of a message delivered in those realms or it's a dogma for the fact that we want people to remain conscious of it, you know, day to day to keep them strong, so to speak. Speaking for my friend and myself, this came up in our conversation um, that it's not even a thought anymore. Like it does not even enter my mind as well. That usually happens once the commitment is made. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah, once and the commitment and is when made. you said that whole spiritual mm-hmm. and that's kind of exactly what happened. It's almost like a light switch going off inside of you. And then there's no more thought needed. Mm-hmm. This is just, it's not something I do. So the idea of, triggers or I wake and I get some bad news in my mind. Oh, now I feel like what it's not even in the equation Mm -hmm. any longer. You know, I have just as much desire to do that as I do to jump off a bridge. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? It just, it's not something that takes up any energy or mental space in in my life anymore. So let's take this to another space. Okay. Uh Is recovery a lifelong process? And if the answer is yes, and this may sound contradictory, okay, and I say I agree, and I agree because of what my definition of recovery is. Okay. Okay. And if my definition of recovery, which is that you are doing something opposite in terms of the context we're talking about, opposite of what you were doing previously. Okay. Okay. And that is now what your life is, okay, and you're doing it daily, then, yeah, someone can step back and look and say, wow, you're doing that for the rest of your life? Yeah, recovery is a lifelong process because that's what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. You're going to be thinking differently, acting differently, you know, your whole 
life and your spiritual, emotional, mental makeup is going to change and it's going to be different for the rest of your life, every day of your life. So in that context, okay, yeah. you can say, yeah, recovery is a lifelong process because every day I'm going to be doing these things. Okay? Or but, not doing these things. Or not doing them. But if it's meant, and this is my opinion, if it's meant that the act, and see, this is where it gets tricky. If you mean by recovery, the act, the simple act of not using drugs or of using alcohol, if that's what you mean, then my answer would be different. Okay. To that statement is recovery, a lifelong process. Are you? Do you understand what I'm I saying? Do, it's I do, but I I believe using your mentality, then even in that context, recovery would be a lifelong process because for the rest of your life, you're not going to be using drugs or abusing alcohol. If I'm following you correctly. Well, let's say a person said, "Well, yeah, okay, for the rest of my life, I used drugs for ten. You know, I was an addict for ten years, and then." After that, I stopped and never touched anything again. But for the remainder of their of their life, they struggled with. They didn't deal with their their issues. They they struggled with other things. So okay. they were they were a dry addict basically. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Well, but when we talk about someone going through recovery, we don't just talk about the the stoppage of the the usage of the drugs or the alcohol. Right. Yeah. The behavior. We, we talk about the holistic recovery of the human being. Of course. Yeah. Okay, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, psychological, yeah. spiritual, and that spiritual means whatever it is you want it to mean or not mean. Right. Okay, et cetera. That's what we talk about. Right. And so if a person does that and they do that and live that for the rest of their life, you can step back and say, yeah, it is a lifelong process because you're doing it for the rest of your life. Yeah. Okay. But it does not mean, okay, that. In some people's mind, that oh, so you didn't use drugs today. You're still in recovery. Right. Oh uh, no. yeah, yeah, sure. No, that that's not the definition in my mind. That just because I didn't use drugs today, that hooray, I'm, I'm still in recovery. Successfully, still in recovery. Right. I you can know? see that. You could have you know, you could have been an alcoholic, haven't drank in 25 years and still be beating your children and abusing your wife and the whole night as if you were still an alcoholic. Right, just minus the substance. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, no, that makes sense. So I that's, can see that. that's I agree why with to that. me, if the arg if if the, the discussion or debate ever came and it should come, I would always ask, okay, what is your definition? Because that's the key of that word, recovery. Okay. Sure. So if you say it's a well to me it's a lifelong process. Okay, define recovery for me. Define that first, and then we'll define lifelong process. So then, and this is kind of a random question: Would you so in the way that you are defining recovery, which I agree with, by the way, and it's a point we drive home where we work. Mm-hmm. Um, being you're somebody who takes care of yourself in all phases of your life, physically, mm-hmm. mentally, spiritually, emotionally, everything that you just listed. Mm-hmm. So not to get too extreme with it, but I envision a monk perhaps, right? Or somebody who leads that kind of a lifestyle, but maybe has never used drugs, just has made a commitment 
to be a complete and good and whole person in several phases, all phases of their life. Strive to be. Strive to be. Are they living a life of recovery? Although they've never abused drugs in the past. Recovering from what? Well, but that's just my point. So if you're a recovering addict, Mm -hmm. then drugs and alcohol come into the picture. Mm -hmm. And that's where you get kind of maybe what you said, although you don't agree with it. The person who has not used drugs for 25 years, but is still maybe not a good person. They still display behaviors that are correlated with that kind of lifestyle. They lie to people or they're dishonest or Mm -hmm. they're beating their family or whatever. Mm -hmm. But if we're making that, that then definition, the correlation with drugs and alcohol, Mm -hmm. then technically that person, although the rest of their life may be out of whack, is still in recovery versus... If 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 they're using the definition that, oh, yeah, I don't use anymore. Right. Versus what I'm looking at you saying is recovery is not just refraining from the use of drugs and alcohol. Recovery can be defined as something greater than recovery. Right. So a lifestyle that right, embodies so all these things. If if someone has a principle or if a group has a dogma that recovery is a lifelong process, I would ask the question of, okay, so what is your definition of the word recovery? Sure. Okay. Um, and then once I obtain that answer from them, I would then you know then, know where to go in terms of, understanding whether or not for them it's strictly a use versus not use. Right. Clean versus not clean, you know, sober versus not sober, or that my whole entire life has changed and I've worked hard to become a better all-around person holistically. Yeah. Okay. And therefore, someone from afar can say, Wow, they're 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 living a, whole, a different lifestyle every day, and can say, yeah, for them it's a life, you know, recovery has been a lifelong process for them in that context. Sure. But if we're strictly talking about the drug and alcohol addiction, use use versus non-use, sober versus not sober, clean versus not clean. Right. Okay, I have a different concept and a different thought on that. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. I agree with that. And it, like you said, the really depends on where, you know, in what context you use that word exactly. or the, the power that you give yeah. to that word. So when I was asked the question, it was being asked in, in the context of, you know, so, you know, you haven't used, you know, in, in a while. So do you, you know, are you, do you consider yourself still in recovery? And my answer was no. So, <laughs> calm down. This <laughs> calm down, calm down, calm down. This might be a a topic for another show and if it is, you go ahead and tell me you'll answer it on on the next topic. But then, can you be living a life of recovery? Mm-hmm. Recovery in the definition that we've agreed upon it should stand for something greater than just not using. Mm-hmm. Can you be living that life? And in recovery in that fashion, and still responsibly have a drink socially. Now tell, because that's that might be a topic for another show. I mean, that's a big one, but 
I, I feel like now's the time to throw it at you. My opinion on that is I've met many people who have come into treatment while I was in treatment and since then who had zero issues with alcohol whatsoever. Sure. Either didn't drink or were responsible social drinkers or event drinkers. Right. Okay. I think I, we can yeah, yeah, find what that means. We have. Okay. And in my opinion, personally, okay, them being a heroin addict, let's say, okay, and conquering that and moving on into their, you know, life of recovery and just going forward does not cancel out their ability to do what they were doing prior to that in terms of being either a social drinker, event drinker, or celebratory drinker. Right. That's just my opinion. It's a, it's a, and and again, it's an individual thing. And is. if I if I intimately knew the person from their experience and treatment and got to know them a little bit, know their ways, their habits, how they and, and more importantly how they thought, their thinking process, my answer might be different. I might say, you know, based on I'm saying this to myself, based on how this person is, how they think, okay, my recommendation to them would be. You know what? You should stay away from all substances that <laughs> all, that 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 have any possibility of altering your mind and your okay. concept of reality. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um. So. I, I love the answer. It's another one where we got to calm the masses yeah. who, are, who are listening to that. But I love the answer. No, I mean there. Again, there is, and I don't disagree with it. Let's be clear. There is uh, principle and dogma. And neither one, it's not a negative, that is, there is, you don't use anything. Period. Period. Right. Um, and, and that's the principle of, of, that, of that group. And that's fine. But to me, the individuals who are in those groups, in those circles, ultimately have to. So if you're an AA, obviously, you're an AAY. Alcohol uh, is your could, problem. Exactly. I mean, so and if you're an NA, it, it's it's drugs, okay? And more often than not, most people are, you know, the poly, overlap. poly poly drug abusers, right? Okay, multiple drugs that they abuse. So it's the to me, it's the exception. I'll use myself as an example. I consider myself the exception. I I, I didn't drink beforehand. I didn't, you know, alcohol gives me a headache. So maybe that's a blessing. You know what I mean? So right. it was a non-issue for me. Right. So, but for for others who, you know, alcohol is not an issue, okay, wasn't an issue prior to coming to treatment, and they then have to make a personal decision post-treatment whether or not they're going to engage in social drinking, event drinking, celebratory drinking, or whatever the case may be. And I'm sure their counselor would make their recommendations based on what they've seen of the person in treatment. Right. And then, you know, you might end up getting, you know, five or ten lashes from the group that you belong to, depending on your decision. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> right. You took right. communion? Right, right. <laughs> I mean, and, and I can cover it briefly, but it reminded me of an example, and obviously I know what you'll say, because I know what the logical way to look at this is. But I recall um, an individual who... Was in recovery, was a graduate of a program, 
and it came to be that I found out that he was drinking. Mm -hmm. And his explanation, if you will, to me at the time, he was a heroin addict. This mm -hmm. was his big deal. Mm -hmm. And he said to me that relapse for him is, you know, shooting heroin behind a dumpster somewhere because that's where his addiction took him to. Relapse right. for him is not having a drink at the bar with friends. Okay. And it wasn't <laughs> no more than 30 days maybe after I found out when he had started drinking. That the Jack Daniels was coming out of the closet? That, well, that the heroin oh, okay. was coming back into the picture. Okay. And, um, and so, anyway, so obviously the answer's already given to you. You can see the answer after that mm -hmm. has manifested and, and transpired in the way it did. Um, but I always thought that that was interesting, too. Then he has to know that about himself. But that speaks to the point that I made about the, the counselor being aware enough to understand that person's thinking process. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because if their frame of reference to, well, as far as I'm concerned, relapse to me is only this. Right. Okay. When we know relapse is not when you actually start putting the needle in your arm. Right. The relapse occurred the long far before. before that. Right. Okay, that's just the culmination. That's the icing on the cake. Right. That's the cherry on top. Right. Okay. And so the thinking process of the person would cause me to say after learning, you know, learning them is would be, you know what? Nothing. Steer clear. Exactly. I believe we're at the top of the hour. <laughs> or, we are at the top of the hour. It's a great topic. Yeah. So, that can uh, be argued and debated on both sides uh, for eternity. Relent think. Yeah, relentlessly. We, we would need security. <laughs> Some take this very seriously, this uh, thing here. That's right. But, hey, however you do it, more just, power yeah, to you. Yeah, just keep it going. Yeah. Make it happen. All right, sir, why don't we take a uh, music break? We'll do that. Or do you want to wrap? Or have we basically wrapped up this topic, or do you want to come back and wrap it up? Um, we can come back and wrap it up real okay. quick. Perfect. Uh, we do see we have some people on hold. We're going to take a quick music break, wrap up the topic, and then on the other side, we will get to your guys' phone calls. Hope you're enjoying the show. Thank you so much for your patience. You hear that? What you won't do, you do for love. You'll try anything, but you won't give up. That's the attitude you need to have in recovery. You've got to love or learn to love yourself first. You've got to be willing to try anything that will help you succeed. And most importantly, you can never give up. Visit us at ocgworks.org. OCG, where hope grows. What you won't do, do for love. You tried everything, but you 
The Children's Health Council in Palo Alto has been serving children, youth, and teens in San Mateo and Santa Clara counties, as well as the greater San Francisco Bay Area, for over 60 years. The goal of the agency is to remove barriers to learning, regardless of language, location, learning style, or ability to pay. At CHC, we specialize in ADHD, learning differences, anxiety and depression, and autism through our center, two schools, and community clinic. No matter how big or small the issue is, just call us and we'll help you navigate your child's journey together. Visit our website at www.chconline.org or call us at area code 650-688-3625. Again, that's area code 650-688-3625. At CHC, we're here for you. And CHC, estamos aquí para usted. Hey folks, welcome back to Roach on Recovery. We're going to be wrapping up our show topic for today. Is recovery a lifelong process? And I think uh, we've determined for the sake of argument that it is, isn't, or it depends on the definition of what is, is. Is that what we determined finally in closing? Basically. (laughs) In so many words, yes. It's a multi-layered answer, and we knew that uh, going in, and uh, and we'll continue to touch on this um, this question because it comes up comes up currently from people that are uh, starting their recovery process, looking too far down the road, wondering, am I going to be doing this for thirty years? That's right, you know, making my bed, rolling my clothes, <laughs> stressing out on things you do not need to be stressing yourself out on. We'll see. We'll see. Anything you want to add, sir, in closing? No, uh, other than I think it was a really good topic. I'm sure we could even talk about it for longer, but that's the ultimate goal or maybe the message we'd like to send or I'd like to send to people in recovery is that the goal of recovery is not just to stop using drugs or stop drinking alcohol. The goal of recovery is to become a better person a more viable part of society, somebody who's going to give back and inspire change, somebody who's going to make good with the life that they have. Um, All those things encompass what recovery is, not just the ceasing of abusing drugs and alcohol. Very well said. Perfect. So we are going to take our official music break here. Uh, We do see we got a couple people on hold. It is our recovery support time on the other side, so we will get to you shortly. Hey, what do you think? What is it called? It's all 
Roach on Recovery is a program of OCG Radio. It deals with many topics related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment and recovery. Our Recovery Support Time is a show segment where you can receive support from our host for any questions or issues you wish to present related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment or recovery. You can reach our host live by calling 646-564-9909. That's 646-564-9909. Or you can send your questions via email at any time to ocgworkca at gmail.com. That's ocgworkca at gmail.com. And our host will respond to your questions on the air. Roach on Recovery. Recovery Support Time. A time for us to help you. Welcome back, folks, to Roach on Recovery. 646-564-9909 is the number. We're now in our recovery support time, and we're going to start out uh, we've got a couple of calls on the line, but we're going to start out with a. We're going to go to the X Files real Do quick. Do it. It was a good question um, from James that I wanted to take, uh, which I thought was interesting. Here's the question Is drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes an exchange of my addiction? Or is it a new addiction? Now, the way that question is phrased, if you are already a coffee drinker and already smoking and you you know, enter recovery for drugs of abuse, quote-unquote, um, I, I wouldn't say that you're exchanging an addiction. Um, I think it, w- it would be... And, and unless you are drinking an absurd amount of coffee, um, you know, a couple of cups of coffee to, a day is not, you know, anything to be concerned about. Depending on what you read, coffee is uh, in certain moderation is good for you. But uh, we, we would always uh, try and get people who are smoking to uh, eventually uh, stop smoking. Hello? Um, to stop smoking, um, but it would not be a primary focus during uh, the treatment block, so to speak. We want to focus on the main reason why the person is into treatment. Um, and, you know, especially in today's world, uh, tobacco cessation groups are a part of uh, uh, or are offered as a part of, you know, treatment um, while people are in the treatment setting. Um, if they desire to also quit smoking cigarettes, but just generally speaking, it's like let's let's deal with one thing at a time if we can, and then. But if you desire to quit smoking, more power to you. Um, certainly, no one would discourage you. Now, if you aren't drinking, if you're not a coffee drinker, you're not a cigarette smoker, and you all of a sudden go into treatment. And then after you leave treatment, decide to start drinking 17 cups of coffee a day, uh, extra extra uh, shots of, uh, uh, of uh, what is it, espresso, espresso. and uh, start smoking Winston-Salem's unfiltered two packs a day. 
I would be real curious as to why you would do that. And then maybe my answer to this question would be different. So, um, but hopefully that it would never be the case for someone to start smoking after they have, uh, let's say, successfully finished a treatment experience. Cigarettes, that is. All right, let's go to a phone call. We have Jennifer from San Francisco. Jennifer, welcome. Hi. Thank you. Hi. So my question is, um, I've been clean for a year, and um, my oldest daughter, uh, who's grown now, she's 18, but um, how do I go about winning her trust back? Um, It's hard. She won't talk to me. Um, I'm just trying to find out, like, some ideas or how I should go about it. You can't force it. Um, how long? How long were you in the life? Um, I, I was in the life for like ten years, and then I got clean for five years, and I relapsed for ten months, and now I'm back for it with a year clean. Okay. So, um, yeah, she just she will not talk to me. Um, maybe hi, that's it. Okay. Just walks away. Do you have a, do you have an understanding of 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 why? I mean, I, listen carefully to the question. Do you have an understanding of what she is going through and why she's acting that way towards you? Yes, I do. Okay, right. So the the way you cope with that and work through that is keep at the forefront of your mind her what she's experiencing, her disappointment. Um, and you continue to do what you're doing because the only thing that's going to help her come around is seeing what you're doing, not what you say. Action. Yeah, that's that's exactly what my dad said. When uh, she sees yeah. that and starts to gain some security in that, some confidence in that, and some trust in that, then she'll start to come around. So you have to be okay. patient. As hard as it may be, you have to be patient. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. All right. Yep. You're very welcome. Bye-bye. They'll come back if you give them time with you doing your thing. Right. You can't force it and you can't bargain or, you know, barter. (laughs) Right. Right. There's a no trade clause there. Exactly. You can't increase the allowance and none of that will work. They want to see that mommy and daddy is doing the right thing and and then they can put put their trust in it. That's it. All right. Let's go to uh, Laura from Redwood City. Welcome. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, My question is, is it... Is it really bad or sinful to think that revenge or retaliation is acceptable in some circumstances or situations? In what way is that going to help you or benefit you? Um, I'm not sure. But I think about it a lot. So you're thinking about some hammering sort of somebody? Retaliation. Over Pardon me? You're thinking about hammering somebody over the head mm-hmm. to get back at them. And mm-hmm. after you do that, your expectation is that you're going to feel better. Mm, not, well, hypothetically with the hammer, but 
Um, yes. I know. I'm just yeah. And your expect, yeah, your I, expectation is you're going to feel better. Yeah, almost like the odds are think like things are even now. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. I'm learning to whatever what what whatever it is that is mm-hmm. going through your mind that you know mm-hmm. about the revenge, the retaliation is going to require you to dig a little deeper. Mm-hmm. You know, why is it that I I need revenge? In order to to believe that I'm going to feel better, why uh-huh. is it that I'm going to need to retaliate in order to believe I'm going to feel better? Because remember, this is not an in the moment thing. This is mm-hmm. a you thinking about something that you're going to exactly. Uh huh. Okay. And yeah, I think I'll mm-hmm. be the first to tell you, you're going to be very disappointed. Right. And then you're going to be carried out. Mm-hmm. You're gonna be very disappointed in terms of how you feel. It's not gonna. You're not gonna get what you're expecting in terms of how you're gonna feel. Right. If you're if you're looking for bloodshed, you might get that. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but if you're looking to feel better, you're not gonna get that. Or almost like the scores are are like, it, uh, almost like you did it to me. Now I'm gonna do it to you. It's never, ever, ever. In the context we're talking about, about the mm-hmm. other person. Okay. Okay. It's never about the other person. It's about you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you, you at some point are going to have to let it go. Right. In, In order, order for, for you to, to heal. Exactly, ma'am. Yes, you got it. A hundred percent. Wonderful. You said it. Okay. I think I just needed to. I think I had the basis of my own answer, but I just mm-hmm. kind of needed to be validated. And uh, well, second you, opinion. You actually, <laughs> I want you to listen carefully. You actually validated yourself by saying it. Oh, okay. In order for you to heal, you okay. said those words. They came from you. Uh huh. And it's all about you healing. It's not about the other person. Okay. Okay? Okay, great. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. I mean, we can use the hammer. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you know, I think like you said, oftentimes the thought of revenge and how good it's going to feel is far greater than how it actually feels if you end up carrying it out. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's similar to uh, when we talk to the residents in our program about when they uh, what their expectations are in encounter group or going into encounter group and you know if they have the misconception of revenge retaliation and so on and so forth I said you're going to be severely disappointed if that's what your thing is all right let's go back to the x-files real quick um here's, here's a common question and we'll continue to answer it uh, this is from Angelo in Belmont. How long should I be in recovery before taking on a relationship? Well, we know relationships in one way, shape, or form, in some way, some manner, okay, are is at the top of the list as a you know cause or causal relationship to why people end up relapsing, inability to appropriately deal with relationships. So if I was counseling this person, we would say, I would say, 
the longer you get into your recovery process, the better, because we want it to be just about you first than about somebody else, because what do we keep repeating? Once someone else comes into the picture in terms of a romantic link, the focus goes off of you and onto the other person, and that should only happen when you have reached a point in your recovery that you have dealt with all the things that involve you. So you don't bring your Samsonite into the relationship. Okay? All right. All right. And we'll continue to answer those questions as they come because we know the relationship thing is very big. All right. Let's go to uh, Larry from Ohio. He's a big fan of... Uh, the Buckeyes. The Buckeyes and... Uh, Cleveland. Who else? LeBron and, James? You want to and, throw LeBron James out there? Johnny Money Manziel, Johnny the Brown. Johnny Manziel, who just came out of uh, treatment. Good for him. Uh, Larry, how can we help you? Yeah, uh, my question is, is there such thing as uh, true recovery? And if it is, how long does it take? Is there such thing as what? True recovery. Is what do you mean by that? True recovery. Is there, I mean, can a person, you know, truly become, you know, um, uh, healed from the use of long-term drugs? And if if so, I mean, how long does it take? What do you mean by healed? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, where a person doesn't really, you know, uh, he's not worried about, you know, he can wake up one morning free from, you know, the addiction. Is what do you such mean thing by as free? Well, it's free from the use of or having the need to wake up, you know, from that next fix in the morning, you know, just to Uh, to a regular life. Emotionally, psychologically, mentally, or physically? Uh, I would think, I I think to say since you asked that question, uh, probably all of them. Okay. Emotionally, mentally, and, you know, yeah, physically as well, yeah. If so, if someone's addicted to a you know a a drug that's physically addictive, let's say the physical addiction has been licked, okay? Yeah. They've gotten that part. They've moved past that. They're they're months into their recovery process. So now we're just left with the psychological, emotional, and mental, the spiritual aspect of the recovery. That's all we're left yeah. with. Okay. Okay. Uh, at some point, when you when you say that word, you know about true recovery, and and that's an interesting way of phrasing it. But at some point, the person during the process must make a commitment that this is the new way they want to live. I'm not about the old lifestyle, the negative lifestyle. I'm about this, a positive okay. and a constructive lifestyle. That right. that flip. That flip is akin to almost a spiritual event. It's hard to describe, hard to explain. It's the only way I can describe it. It's almost like a spiritual thing that happens within you, the person. And only you know when that happens. And this is how you know that it has happened. Everything that you have just said about being free not worrying about waking up the next day, about using and all of those things, all of that goes. It's gone. Because your focus now, because you have had this, you have made this commitment, you've had this like 
spiritual change within you, the focus now only becomes on what are the things I need to do to accomplish the goals I've set out for myself moving forward. You're not worried about, am I going to relapse? Am I still going to use again? All of that dissipates. That goes away. Yeah. Now, for people who don't experience that, and remember, the first thing that happens first is the commitment. So if someone doesn't do that, then, yeah, that's part of the struggle in recovery. Uh-huh. But it doesn't have to be that way if a person is dead serious about changing their life. Right. Okay. Okay. I can I can I can work with that. All right. Well, thank All you right. very much. You're very welcome. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. So I had to confront him a little bit. You had to walk him through it. You had, had to, to walk him had through to flip it. Flip him on it a little bit. Confront him. Confront him to get him to. Well, as you say, the walking him through helped him. That's how we get to the answer. But it's digging a little deeper. I wanted to know what he meant by healed. Everyone has their own different meaning. Right. Healing. I I didn't know if he was heading into a religious context. Sure. You right. Know, or and then when he said free. You Freedom. Know, right. You know what did he mean by that? True recovery. True recovery. You know, is that the name of a church? I don't know. We don't know. Okay. Is that isn't that the name of genes? A true I, true religion? Is that? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I have to ask my daughters. It might what? be that might be above my uh, <laughs> above your cool bar. Above my cool bar. Clearly not a fan of uh, Money Manzel or King James or any of the above. The no. Buckeyes, nothing. No, they get nothing. <laughs> we no, got nothing out no, of that. No bite on that one. <laughs> um, let's see. I think I think we answered that one from Brian before. So let's see. Karen from Reno wants to know how long does it take to do the fourth step? I believe she's speaking the fourth step of uh the twelve steps. Okay. So the fourth step is that one about uh doing that self inventory. Yeah. Um which we know is the a trip up step. That people want to uh, skip over and yep. uh, just jump to number five. Yep. Um, a fearless, right? A yeah. Fearless moral inventory. It, yep. And that's very difficult to do, but it that's required no matter in any treatment environment worth its salt is going to require you to do that. Of course. Whether you're an AA, NA, or a traditional residential program, an outpatient program, any substance to, substance abuse and mental health treatment program is going to require that step number you four. You look within yourself. Exactly. How long? It's different for every yeah, individual. Yeah, everybody's different. You know, everybody right. ha- brings a different level of of uh, baggage. Yep. And a different type of baggage. Um, your different ba- level of fear of yeah. exploring the topic. Yeah. Your baggage may have the tag on that says extra heavy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It doesn't fit on the carry-on. You got to check that one. And you may have to pay extra, <laughs> depending, yep. you know, depending on the airline. So, who knows? 
Um, but it, it's an individual thing, Karen. So, all right, let's go to the next question. Uh, this is an interesting one from uh, Laura. Is it a sin? Careful now. Careful. Careful now. Is it a sin to think revenge or retaliation? She asked this question on the phone. It's interesting. Is acceptable in some circumstances and situations? And our answer was no. Karen, Laura, no. No revenge, no retaliation. Focus on you. No physical harm to other people. <laughs> well, then technically in her question, the answer would be yes, the way she wrote it, right? So we wouldn't, and the way she asked it over the phone, which was different from the way right. she actually submitted it, is we wouldn't, re- I mean, we're not going to respond to the, the sin right. aspect of it. But the negative aspect. Yeah, the negative aspect of it, which I think we did respond to. Absolutely. Russell wants to know, is aftercare really necessary? You know, when I'm done, if I guess he means if he's in residential and, you know, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm done with that. Why do I need? I'm done. Why do I need aftercare? Russell might be approaching the uh, the level or phase or whatever from wherever he's at where the folks in aftercare are telling him, come on, man, you got to complete. Finish what you started all the way through. So he might be catching the heat from his peers who are walking but the line see, before him. If I was Russell's counselor, I would I would have already picked up on this attitude, okay, that is behind this question, this thinking process that brings forth this question, and I would want to know, okay, what's going on and why is this why is this coming forth? Right. And we're gonna have to dig. We got a lot of shovels. Right. You know what I mean? We got a lot of shovels because sometimes there's some digging required to get underneath what the you know what this thinking process is. That's absolutely it's, accurate. It, it's all about. You know, when 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 you leave your treatment setting, it's very important to me as a provider that you you know that you be right. And and what I mean by right is that if that doesn't mean that everything has been conquered, but at least to the best that we can, as much as possible has been understood. Maybe not conquered, but at the very least understood. And so that's what I mean by let's let's dig. So we got the shovels lined up all the time to, uh, you know, get underneath a question like that. Is aftercare necessary? I, I and just to belabor the point, when I when I I interpret that as saying, you know, so once I'm done with, you know, my, and this is obviously someone who's in a residential setting. Once I'm done with that, I guess I'm done. I'm free. I can just, you know, go on. Well, no, you still have to take care of yourself. You still have to practice, use the tools, and so on and so forth. The purpose of aftercare is is provides an environment for as you're going about living your life, you have you can come back and, and talk about, you know, the troubles or, you know, or the good things that may be going on and share with other people because it helps other people who are out there, you know. Right. Also, in that phase of recovery, you know, learning from good, the bad, or the ugly. You don't want the attitude of let me do the bare minimum that I need to do to just get back to my life. It's a sure way to fail. Yeah, it's not a, a – how can you describe it? 
You know, you're not trying to complete a race, right? So to speak, right? All right. All right. Let's go to uh, Chappelle from EPA. Chappelle, welcome. Hello. Um, my question is: um, In my time of living, um, I have a problem of multiple relapses, and my question is: What's the best way to prevent me from relapsing in the future? Why have you continued to relapse? Um, well, I guess um, I'm kind of like a stuffer, a person that stuffs his feelings, and I don't tell people how I really feel. So I continue to stuff instead of talk about my issues. And I'm finding out that, you know, that's a part well, of my... Let me interrupt. Let me interrupt, and I'm going to ask my question again. But why have you continued to relapse? I can't figure that out. I have no idea. Um, so if I, I was, if I was your counselor, I would say that that answer is unacceptable because okay. a person, a person usually, it's one of two things. They usually know and don't want to say or they don't want to dig deep to find the answer. Because the only okay. person that would actually know the answer is you. Another person, i.e., let's say it was me, could only help you get there by asking questions to help you you know, get deeper and deeper and deeper until you sourced it out, sourced the answer out for yourself. Because only you know the answer. Now, you may not know how to get to the answer, and that's where someone like myself would come in or a counselor would come in and help you figure out how to get to the answer. So is it that you don't want to say or you need help in trying to figure out how to get get the answer? Because remember, my question I mean, was, why do you continue to relapse? And that's what I want the answer to. I need help figuring that out from my okay. counselor. Okay. Um that's not a complicated answer. I want to start by telling you that. Okay. And so if you try not to think that the answer lies in your brain, so to speak, it really the answer really lies in your gut. Metaphorically speaking, and it's a simple answer. It's not a complex answer. Okay. So I'm going to repeat the question. Why do you continue to relapse? Um, that's a hard answer because I'm, I'm trying to find that answer. And like I said, you know, I get multiple years clean this over, and I end up relapsing. Okay. All right. For and, the sake uh, of time, for the sake of time, I'm going to okay. help you. I'm going to help you for the sake of time. Okay. Whenever someone brings this question, I, and I, I take them through it the same way I'm trying to take you through it, but obviously I don't have a – my producer is going to cut me off at some point and say, we, we okay. got to go. <laughs> 
So I'm going to I'm going to blurt out something and you tell me if this sounds right. The the answer to the question as to why Chappelle continues to relapse is because Chappelle conti- chooses to relapse. Um <coughs> it's possible. If you don't choose to relapse, how is it happening? I guess I'm not strong enough sometimes. I don't know. That's just yeah, but I, I'm thought not I could come up with. But, but listen, I'm just talking about the, 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 the relapsing act. Is that a right. mistake? Is that an accident? Or is that a choice that you're making? It's a choice that I make. And who's making that choice? I am. That's the answer to the question. So when yeah. someone asks you, well... How come you keep relapse? And the answer is because I keep choosing to relapse. Now, the next question would be, why are you then making those choices? That is because when we get I, a little bit. That's when we get a little bit deeper. But we got to yeah. start with the simple answer first. Yeah. And the simple oh. answer. The simple answer. This is very important. This is very important. Yeah. The simple answer allows you to take ownership of the decision. Okay. So I don't allow people to say, well, I, you know, talk, talk about their feelings or talk about things that have gone, you know, you know, um, incidents or thing, you know, anything. I want them to first take ownership of the decision to relapse because that's the the, the simple, basic answer to the question of why did you relapse? I made I that choice. To. I made oh, yeah. that choice. Okay. Yeah. And then I would then come in and say, okay, what do you think caused you to make that choice? What's going on? What went on? Let's walk through it. Let's go. Let's go back. Let's go back to... You know, as far back as we need to go, and we'll walk through it step by step and see what changed, what decision you might have made that made you go on this fork of the road versus the other fork in the road. You know what I'm saying? So we then go back and analyze each of our steps. And you can do this on your own, but it requires gut-level honesty when you do it on your own. So there's no counselor there to confront a possible, you know, Answer that you might give yourself, which is not a true, uh, uh, a gut level honest answer. So if you have the ability to be gut level honest with yourself, you can do this. But you know, you don't need a counselor to do this. You can walk yourself through this on your own and go step by step and analyze. Okay, I did this. I did this. I did this. I then made this decision. Why did I make this decision here? What was going on in my life at this time why I made this decision? Yeah, right. And I'm, I'm thinking back, and um, I, I heard you saying it's making sense. Um, and the whole goal, the whole goal is we want to avoid making the same decisions again and again that put us back in the same situation. So that you, and this by going back over and analyzing it. This time, you'll be able to see it coming. You'll be able to identify it. Oh, I've seen this before. I've seen this movie. I know where this is going to head. If I make this decision, I need to do this. 
person must understand why they have done something in order to prevent themselves, if they need to, from doing it again in the future. You've got to really understand it. And that's what that exercise is about going back and going step by step. Yeah, um, and uh, I guess I I thought I could do it on my own and not have no support. Cause, you know, I, I get a little time and I think, you know, I'm okay. But really I'm not, you know. I got to have a support group. It's people I can call and talk to. Yeah, especially. I'm a, I'm a loner. Yeah, and you're saying you're a stuffer. Yeah. Two, two fatal combinations. <laughs> yeah. Bad combination to be a, a loner and a stuffer. It's okay to be a loner if you're the type of person that can, you know, call somebody up, share what's going on, cut it up, you know, and, et cetera, um, get some advice, and, and, and then, you know, get on your horse. But if you are a loner and a stuffer, that's not a good combination. So yeah. you're gonna you're gonna have to you're gonna have to work to fight through your natural instincts. Okay. Whatever it takes, that's where I'm at right now. Yep. So, step one for you would be to the practice, the exercise after you do your going back thing, but day to day is practicing sharing a little bit about of yourself. Who you are, a little, a little bit at a time. Yeah. And you want to get that's it. To, I, you want to, go ahead. That's where I, I guess I get um, afraid. I guess because I don't want people to know who I am. So that's why I, you know. But Chappelle. I stuff, or I get Ch- angry to keep Chappelle. people away from me. Yeah. But Chappelle, more often than not. More often than not, we we already know who you are. Uh, we're, we already know who you are. We're, we're we're not that much different from each other. Our individual experiences may be different. The details of our life may be different, but what we feel behind those experiences and those details and those incidents are the same. We all feel hurt. We all felt pain. We all felt anger. We all felt rejection. We all felt resentment. I know these are all negative feelings, etc. We we've all experienced that. We know what that feels like. So when we say we already know who you are, this is what we mean. We 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 know what 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 you have felt, what you've experienced in your life. We may not know the details behind that. Okay. Okay. So while while you're looking at the person in front of you so saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm I'm afraid of sharing a little bit because I don't know what this person may think about me, you don't realize that, well, first of all, I really know who you are in terms of, you know, pretty much you're standing in front of me, so you, you must have had some similar experiences that I've had. Right. You know, when you were out there on the street, when you were out there on the street and, you know, picking up, using, doing whatever you were doing for the time that you were in your addiction, you know, you used to utter those two words, those famous two words, one begins with an F, one begins with an I, all the time. You would just say, bump, you know, bump yeah. it and do what you had to do. Same applies here. You got to say, bump it and just, you know, boom, let it go. Yeah, I've been working on that here, um, where I'm at, 
the place I'm at. I've been working, you know, to get some of those issues out, you know, no matter what anybody thinks, you know. Okay. And I've been having, you know, it's been working pretty good. I finally cried after like 40 years of my life. I cried a couple of times. And okay. I, it helped me out a lot, you know. Cause there's, there's, you know, I got a lot more pain inside, but I let out a little bit of it. A little bit of time. 40 years. Yeah. One day yeah. at a time. So what I'll ask you to do, just in the interest of time, because my producer's giving me, giving me the giving me the okay. signal. Uh, okay. If you can keep us posted, you know, give sure. us a call next week and let us know, you know, you know how the week went for you in terms of, you know, looking back on and doing a little analyzing, et cetera. And let us know how it went. Sure. Okay. Sure. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. You have a nice day. All right. You too. Bye bye. So, just an opportunity for me to publicly do that exercise with yeah. somebody. Yeah. So. And at least he's opening up. Yep. Yeah. At least in the phone call, he's opening up. Opposite of what he typically does, I guess. Yep. All right, where are we on the clock? That's it. You're over. It's oh. time for you to stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yes, anyway, great show. We would like to thank everybody for giving us their continued support, all of the people who called in and spoke, all of the people who called in to listen, those who have decided to follow us on our radio page, Facebook page. Uh, we just appreciate all of it. So thank you so much, you guys, for continuing to Follow us and support what we're doing. We wish everybody a great rest of the week and a very happy weekend. Uh, the producer are, is going to give the host some time. Uh, I just need to add that my wife also picked the uh, Mayweather-Pacquiao fight. Oh, my goodness. Unca- just, it's uncanny. Just I'm event after event. It's uncanny. And if we're while we're giving the wives credit, I'd like to throw out there that uh, this weekend is actually a very special weekend in my family. My wife will be graduating from USC, receiving her master's degree in social work. Wonderful. And so that's what we'll be doing this weekend. So congratulations. I love you. And um, we wish everybody a great weekend, and we'll talk to you all next Tuesday.
And walk amongst the stars at night I'd like to know the taste of honey in my life In my life Well, I've shared so many pains And I've played so many games Oh, but everyone finds the right way Somehow, somewhere, someday Whoa Oh, wait. 
That's our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio. Until then, baby, are you ready?